0: My name is Keith Grant, one of the pastors here. Man, we are um, we're always excited to see you guys come here and worship on a Sunday morning with us. So, uh, you know, I think, um, and I've shared this before and a lot of times when I talk, is just in, in my own walk as a Christian, one of the biggest struggles I've always had is how, and understanding how does the gospel, how does the fact that Jesus died and rose again, speak to me every single day like what does that mean to me every day because you know i got it look when i'm 80 when i'm 90 years old and i die i'm going to heaven i get that but the problem is i'm having problems right now don't get along with my boss i'm struggling in my marriage i'm dealing with loss i'm dealing with all these things right now how does the fact that jesus died and rose again help me right now what about my problems right now And I think we see that a lot today because you turn the news on TV and every time you turn around there's something going on and we ask the question, well, then how does it apply to that? How does it apply to all the problems that we have in our world today? When We're in a world in which we want to have peace, but there's so much division. You know, some of the buzzwords that you hear today, you guys have probably heard this, are things like uh, inclusive, tolerance, right? Openness like diversity and values and morals. The question is, how do we get this as a society when we're becoming more and more secular? What does secular mean? The definition of secular is this. It's a system of doctrines and practices that disregards or rejects any form of religious faith and worship. Its primary objective is the total elimination of all religious elements from society secularism takes the person of Jesus and his values and his morals and kicks him out. And says, we can have this and we can have this as a society without Jesus. You know when you often hear it nowadays is when uh, there is an employee of a company that does something and um, the first thing you'll hear from the company is, well that doesn't reflect our values and morals as a company. I love um, the uh, quote that I heard from, uh, anybody know Grubhub? It was a CEO of Grubhub. And uh, this was around election time. If you ever want to see people's true emotions, watch an election. Because people get really angry and upset and they're, they're going back and forth between all the issues. And so this was after the election. He obviously is not a Donald Trump supporter. And um, so after the election, he sends an email to his employees and he says, about uh, how Grubhub is a place of openness and diversity and tolerance. And uh, he goes on to say this to his employees. He says, if you do not agree with this statement, then please reply to this email with your resignation because you have no place here. We do not tolerate hateful attitudes on our team. That's fascinating, isn't it? You see, my question to him would be, Tell me, how do you define inclusiveness? And are you willing to include yourself in the very statements that you just made? Those who want others to be inclusive oftentimes will exclude people who they deem to be exclusive, therefore contradicting the very things that they've just said. The question is, how do we have a society in which there is true inclusiveness that reaches out to people who are different from you? Today's sermon is entitled, Jesus is Inclusive. And what I hope that we see is this, that Jesus Christ shows us what true inclusiveness looks like. That we would see what true inclusiveness was really meant to look like. We're continuing our walk in the book of uh, Matthew in our sermon series called Jesus Is. Jesus is Inclusive. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew 15, verses 29 through 39. So it's Matthew 15, verses 29 through 39, if you have your Bibles. And let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, please settle our hearts and our minds this morning, God. Help us to hear from you. Help us to understand your word, Lord, and not just understand it, but to live it in our lives, Lord. Help us to live this in our lives so that people don't see us, that people see Christ, Father. We just thank you and we praise you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I want to start off with uh, verses 29 through 31 this morning. 29 through 31, and it says this. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Remember, it was two weeks ago. Where Jesus was having his, uh, his conversation with the Pharisees and responding to the Pharisees and telling them, it's not about what you eat that makes you unclean, that makes you defiled. What makes you unclean and defiled is really what's already in you, which is your sin. It's in your heart already. So it's not about how much you wash your hands to try to be clean. So he, he explains that to them. And then last week, remember, it was a woman who was from Canaan. Right? This is a Gentile woman that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, have mercy on me. His daughter, her daughter was oppressed by a demon. And Jesus says to her, well, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And he says, it's not right to give, take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she says, yes, I understand, but even the dogs have the crumbs off the table. She goes, but there's even enough of you to go around, even for us. And Jesus praised her for her faith. Jesus is then going and praising a woman who was a Gentile woman for her faith. And now the scene moves to now a mountain. So Jesus walks around the Sea of Galilee. He goes up on a mountain. He sits down. And now everyone begins coming to him. And he begins healing people with infirmities. They literally come and fall at his feet. And Jesus heals them all. And people marvel. And they glorify God because of the healings. Jesus is doing this in a Gentile area. And one of the things that you can see from scripture, what it says is that people glorified the God of Israel. It's a God that they didn't know. And now they are glorifying him to see what he's doing. Jesus is showing that his blessings are coming to those who are Gentiles. He's breaking down the barrier that was there. See, The old barrier was you were either Jewish or you were Gentile. That was the division right there. You're either clean or you're considered unclean. The Jewish people needed healing, and so did the Gentiles do. And that was the very reason why Jesus does this right here. You know, when you think about our world today, you see all different types of barrier. Sometimes when we, you know, we are in our world right here, and you just see the news in our world, and in the U.S., the barrier is what? Black and white, left and right, liberal conservative. These are all these barriers that we put. But when you go to a place like Northern Ireland, it's Catholic and Protestant. You go to Rwanda, it's Hutu and Tutsi. You can look in the Muslim world, it's Sunni and it's Shia. There's all these divisions and the barriers that you see. All these divisions and barriers are man-made. We have done this to ourselves. And what Jesus is showing us is they're all on the wrong side. So uh, as we begin to put the bar- barriers and divisions between ourselves, we are still on the wrong side because we're on the side of sin. We're fighting with each other on the wrong side. The real inclusion is whether you're in the kingdom or not. And what prevents us from being in the kingdom is our sin. And what Jesus is showing right here is his healing and his invitation is for everyone. Everyone. True inclusiveness. If you want to have a true inclusive society, what that looks like is it reaches out to those people who are not like you and who aren't on your radar. That's what Jesus is doing because he's gone to heal people who were not on the Jewish people's radar. Jesus was showing God's compassion was for all. Hurting people, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, it is for everyone. And he didn't turn away anyone who came to him. Everyone is invited to come. When we look at our own lives, what are the barriers that we've erected between us and other people? If we are somebody who has professed Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, what are the barriers that we've put up to invite people to that kingdom. The only real barrier is sin. That's the only real barrier. Everything else that we see is what we've created, is that we've done, because we believe that people have to be worthy to be included. Worthy to be included in our group. God's compassion, his healing, and his salvation is for everyone. And he shows that because he does his healing for those who were not thought to be originally included. The question is, how do we do that? And Jesus shows us how. Look at verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went into the region of Magadan. Jesus literally now goes to his disciples and he calls his disciples to him and says, I see the crowd and I have compassion with them. They've been with me for three days and they're hungry and I don't want to send them away hungry. This resembles the what? Feeding of the 5,000, right? But the feeding of the 5,000 was done in a mainly Jewish area. So that was done in the Jewish territory, right? And now he's in a Gentile territory. The question is, is he going to do the same miracle for the Gentiles that he did for the Jewish people? So his disciples ask him a question. Well, where are we going to get enough food in such a desolate place as this to feed everyone? That's a very interesting question because didn't they just see Jesus heal or Jesus provide before? So either they're slow to believe... They still don't think that Jesus can provide, or as you read, as some commentators say, is when you get this idea of the feeding of the 5,000, it points to this messianic banquet that those who are included in the kingdom are going to be part of this messianic banquet. So they're looking at him like, is he going to do the same thing for the Gentiles that he did for the Jewish people? We don't know from Scripture. But for whatever reason, they don't. They have to ask the question, where are we going to get enough food to feed everybody here, even though he has done this before? And what Jesus does is he provides with more than enough left over. One of the things I love about Jesus, if anybody's into reading about leadership, like you'll read a lot of leadership books nowadays, and it's funny because you see so many of them, and it uses a lot of the principles that Jesus taught himself. And one of the things that Jesus always did, I'm reading this book now called Design to Lead, and it says one thing that Jesus did is Jesus did three things with his disciples. He, he gave knowledge, experience, and then he coached them. Jesus tells them something, he allows them to experience it, and then he coaches them and talks about what they've experienced. That's what he does here. Jesus gives them knowledge because he tells his disciples, look. I'm looking." He calls the disciples over and says, I'm looking at the crowd, and as I'm looking at them, I'm having compassion for them. Why? I have compassion because I see that they're hungry, and I know that they're hungry, and I don't want to send them away. And they say, well, what are we going to do? And that's when he performs the miracle. He shows them, and he gives the bread. He, he gives thanks. He breaks the bread. He gives it to his disciples, and they go and begin handing out the bread. He's including them. He's giving them the experience after he provides them the knowledge. And what are they doing? You've got Jewish disciples that are now giving it out to a Gentile crowd. And Jesus is including them in what he's doing. You know, I always think back when you look in the book of Acts where Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, and now he's taken back up to heaven. I always think back to Peter. And one day Peter has this vision, and he goes into a trance, and he sees this blanket coming down by the four corners. And on the blanket are all kinds of animals and reptiles and living things. And a voice says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I've never eaten anything unclean in my my life. And when he says no, the voice then says to him, is what God has made clean, don't call common. What God was doing was he was uncovering Peter's prejudice toward Gentile people. Well, shortly after, a Gentile named Cornelius comes to him who was sent by God and then Peter goes to his house and shares the gospel with he and his whole family who are Gentiles. He was showing Peter's prejudice. I always wonder in the back of my mind if during that moment does Peter remember what was happening right now? What Peter, that Jesus was doing his healing and he was providing for those people who are Gentile. Did it finally make sense for him? Why is Jesus mentioning his compassion for his disciples? He's literally showing them what it looks like. Compassion starts with looking at people and stepping into their world and seeing what is it like to be them. Jesus sees them and he sees the fact that they are hungry. How does Jesus know what hunger is like? He's God. So his compassion is because he's God, but he has compassion also because he knows what hunger is like. Jesus hungered himself. Jesus was hungry too. Jesus shows that inclusion begins with having compassion for people by incarnating with them. And he does it for people even though they aren't his people. And he has compassion on them. You know what this really hit home for me was, I like to think that I'm a person that has compassion for other people. But there's something about having compassion for someone when you've been in their shoes before. Like I hear people nowadays who have struggles and and pains with their kids. And now, because I have a daughter, it hits home so much more now because I know what it's like to have a child of my own you know even this afternoon we're doing the funeral for frank and his family and i had a chance to meet with them earlier this week and sit down and you can just see as they're sharing the pain that they're going through right now losing father and a brother and it was like as i'm sitting there i'm starting to well up myself because i know what it's like to be in their shoes there's something about compassion, and having compassion for people, when you look at them and you know what it's like to be them because I'm stepping into their world. That's what Jesus is trying to show his disciples right there, what it's like to step into somebody else's world because that drives his compassion. And his compassion leads to the miracle. You see, who does he use to distribute? The disciples. He's including them and giving them that experience. He's showing that, that inclusion and his invitation is for everybody, and he's showing them what it looks like and how to do it. It starts with compassion for those on the outside by stepping into their world. Literally, is incarnating with people. Jesus is showing his disciples something new. He healed Gentiles. He fed Gentiles. These were people not thought to be part of the Messianic Covenant, but he's doing it. His inclusion, which is his salvation, is for everyone. The only barrier to that is our sin. It's what's in our hearts. That's the only barrier. And he shows them how to do it by looking and having compassion for other people. Why? Because we were all lost too. And somebody looked at us and had compassion for us by stepping into our shoes. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. Because none of us were worthy to be part of that kingdom. And yet, we are included in that when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The gospel is for all people. Divine plan is global. And Jesus' life is full of one mini-incarnation after the other. Stepping into people's worlds, which led to the big incarnation of him literally coming to give his life for us. Jesus Christ came and died and gave his life for us so that we would be included in the kingdom. And none of us were worthy, for yet while we were still sinners, he came for us. That's the gospel message, is that we can have life after death because of what he's done. One of the things that I love about Riverside Community Church and you're seeing it more and more is the diversity that we have here. There's this unity in diversity. Unity and diversity in so many different ways in terms of our talents, our skills, our gifts, in terms of race and color and everything. You see this unity because it's one God, one Spirit, one Church and then you see everything is connected together. It doesn't matter you are, where you come from, what your background is, there is this unity. You see, the world consistently seeks for answers in terms of how do we have diversity and peace and inclusion and tolerance? How do we get those things, but they're trying to get it without Jesus? Jesus shows us right here. It's only through him. That's how you get true inclusion. True inclusion is whether you are in the kingdom of heaven or not, because it's only your sin That's the barrier. And that inclusion is open to everyone. Because none of us are worthy to be in the kingdom. And yet he came and gave his life so that we would be included. So what does that mean? Well, when I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and if I'm gonna ask the questions, now what do I do with that? I get it, what do I do with it? Number one is I live every day knowing that the gospel is for everyone everyone is invited the only division are those in christ and those who aren't every other division is man-made and is still on the wrong side of sin we're still on the wrong side jesus's healing which is his salvation is open for everyone and true inclusiveness means that i even dis- i even include those who disagree because all of us need salvation. All of us need salvation. You know, one of the conversations I love is when you see Jesus as he's, ending the, the, he's nearing the end of his life and he's standing there with Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate is asking him, are you, a king, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, do you say this of your own accord or did somebody else say this to you about me? Even as Jesus is ending, is coming to the end of his life, he's still moving toward Pilate. Are you asking me yourself, or did somebody else say this about me? Jesus is still moving toward people because his movement toward people is about an invitation for them to know him. So the gospel is for everyone. Everyone, whether they deserve it or not. The second is what does compassion look like in my life? Compassion is for people, is for everyone, but it's also for those people who aren't on our radar, who we don't even think is worthy. The first step to inclusion is to have compassion for those on the outside because we need our eyes opened up just like the disciples did. And how do we do that? We begin by looking And stepping into other people's world and seeing what it's like to be them. You see, now I have compassion for other people because why? Because I was lost too. I wasn't included either. I mean, I have compassion because I know what it's like to be on the other side. I needed to be included because I wasn't worthy. So now we go and we live and we share the gospel with other people. And we give them the hope. I want to finish with this. So, you guys remember the story with the American Airlines employee and he got into an argument with another uh, passenger on the flight for the woman with the uh, the baby carriage, right? You look at that and uh, the employee was removed from his post, right? Because he wasn't worthy of being included at American Airlines. And they, they quoted this, they said, what we see on this video does not reflect our values or how we care for our customers. How do you redeem a life like His? How do you restore somebody who you deem is not worthy to be included? How does that life be redeemed? And it's only Christ that invites people who are excluded to be included, because it's not about how worthy you are, it's about what He's done on the cross. True inclusion in the kingdom starts with, number one, knowing that we're all invited and number two is us now going out and having compassion for everyone, even those who aren't on our radar, even those who are not like us, and even those who disagree with us. Jesus did that for us because he saw us in our need, and he actually included himself in our world for us. He saved people from their sins so that we too could be in the kingdom. That's how God loves. That's how God loves you. Jesus is inclusive. And that's the only inclusion that really matters. Pray with me.